Within a year of my moving from New York to Massachusetts, I transferred my clinical license to the state, and I was shocked when a copy of it arrived in the mail. Because in addition to the letters after my name, in the background of the license appeared the seal of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, which I had never before noticed. This seal depicts an indigenous man in traditional garb, standing underneath a hand grasping a sword, complete with a Latin motto that translates, by the sword we seek peace, but peace only under liberty. It reads like the inscription on a horrendous trophy, one won through brutal conquest. The very paper that my license was printed on seemed tainted. I put it in a folder in the back of my filing cabinet, someplace far out of sight, where it could not further contaminate anyone's consciousness. Honestly, I don't even like having it in my home. I feel implicated by it. I am implicated by it. As a citizen of these United States, in particular an Anglo member of the dominant culture, I am the heir of conquerors. Some of these conquerors used the sword, some used gunpowder, some even used smallpox. How much peace can there be, I wonder, after centuries of genocide? Earlier this year, the Commonwealth created a commission to create a new motto, seal, and state flag for Massachusetts. The 19 members of this commission had their first meeting this summer and hoped to make their recommendations later this fall. It is social progress, undoubtedly, but it is long overdue. It is our latest reckoning with a troubled past in this country, in the New England region, in the state, and in this town. In 2021, Wellesley resolved to celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day over the second weekend in October instead of Columbus Day, which it has commemorated for decades now. Wellesley is one of more than 20 towns in Massachusetts that has made this change, in addition to the city of Boston, which did so this month by executive order. There is also a movement underway to make the change and holiday happen statewide. I expect that it will have success over the next couple of years. Mind you, the federal holiday across the U.S. remains Columbus Day. But the more people learn about the terrible exploits of Columbus, the more reluctant they will be to honor his memory and his legacy. Here at UU Wellesley Hills, we have officially commemorated Indigenous Peoples Day each October since 2012, along with other UU congregations nationwide. That year, our UUA General Assembly passed a resolution to formally repudiate the so-called Doctrine of Discovery, a 15th century manifesto that provided Europeans with the religious ideology which sanctioned their profiteering and imperialist drives toward expansion into the New World and its Americas. 
Overseas explorers were empowered to convert the heathens by any means necessary, but only after subduing them first. At our 2020 General Assembly last year, the UUA invited indigenous scholar Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz to speak on the 400th anniversary of the arrival of the Mayflower on the banks of eastern Massachusetts. In her address, she underscored the points she made in her award-winning book, An Indigenous People's History of the United States, namely that our national origin story is far from innocent. Categorizing the United States as a nation of immigrants obscures the country's settler colonial history, she told the assembly, and erases the violence of settler colonialism, genocide, and slavery. Recent initiatives that attempt to honor the place of indigenous peoples are simultaneously attempts to undo this historic erasure, erasure of cultures and languages and customs and lineages and tribes and religions and legitimate claims to sovereignty and ultimately to existence itself. The slim minority of indigenous peoples who somehow managed to survive the ruthless assaults of settler colonialists were repeatedly dispossessed, displaced, disempowered. We need to recognize the enormity of the impact of that and start to make recompense for crimes against humanity that were committed from coast to coast across our country. This summer, Canadian citizens were horrified by the discovery of remains of hundreds of indigenous children who had been buried on the grounds of mission boarding schools in mass and unmarked graves. Around the US, two such mission boarding schools were operating throughout the 19th and into the 20th centuries. A few of them funded by the institutional precursor to the UUA, the American Unitarian Association, the same association, by the way, that provided funds for the founding of this congregation. One Unitarian mission school was opened in Montana on the Crow Reservation and run in the 1880s and 1890s by the Reverend Henry F. Bond. In correspondence, he shared his view that the Crow children who had been separated from their families and brought into his custody were the better for it because they would enter at once upon a life of usefulness and do credit to their training and become zealous and successful laborers for the civilization of their race, he wrote and never be thrust back into a sea of barbarism with no career open to them and no one to look after them, he concluded. The relish with which this Unitarian clergyman assumed the proverbial white man's burden is unmistakable and chilling. We may yet find bodies buried around his mission boarding school. 
These days, we UUs are joining with interfaith networks across the Americas in making restitution and undertaking a process of truth-telling and reconciliation. One such network released a statement in July 2021 that acknowledged that tribal communities, that acknowledged the truth that tribal communities have been testifying for years of forced removal, assimilation, abuse, and death perpetrated through boarding schools. We also know that the trauma of this history lives on in the lives of people and communities, all of whom are affected. It concluded, truth-telling is a critical step to healing. Finally, we know that a radical shift must occur in our own theologies as we seek to repudiate the doctrine of discovery and the way that has been used to justify colonialism, domination, slavery, and genocide of the indigenous people. This Sunday, in our sanctuary, we can all take part in starting to make that spiritual shift ourselves. One of our guiding UU principles is respect for the interdependent web of existence of which we are a part. And we need to understand the part we play in America now, the part we have played, and the part we would like to play well into the future. And I saw the sacred hoop of my people was one of many hoops that make one circle wide as daylight and starlight to shelter all the children of one mother and one father, the Lakota elder Black Elk said, and I saw that it was holy. Can we see so many interlocking circles? Can we appreciate how enormous and inclusive they are? Can we revere them as holy? On your way to our service this morning, you probably saw that sign on our church lawn commemorating the very first Indigenous Peoples Day to be officially celebrated in the town of Wellesley. At our annual meeting this past June, the Board of Trustees declared their intent to place a permanent land acknowledgement marker on our church campus. Trustee Sally Watts is coordinating our Indigenous Peoples Task Force, considering ways we might best do that. In our words of welcome today, I mentioned our buildings and grounds are located on the traditional tribal territory of the Massachusetts people. That is true and all too easy for us to overlook. It is impossible for us to raise our consciousness without first opening our eyes to the greater realities that we inhabit. Last summer, my husband Ben and I moved to our new house in Watertown and inherited a couple of big green recycling bins in our backyard emblazoned with the town seal. It looks a lot like this. Watertown is located on the traditional territory of the Pequoset tribe, and the seal makes reference to that fact. Admittedly, this town seal is much more benign than the one emblazoned on our state flag and also etched onto my clinical license. 
Watertown even has a motto of its own. I'm not sure you can read it from your seat, but it is a kinder, gentler one. In pace condita, or founded in peace. I told Ben that I had to question the historicity of that account, and so we made a closer study of the claim. The motto underlines a pastoral scene containing what is no doubt an idealized encounter along the banks of the Charles River. In it, a Puritan man is offering a tribesman a hearty baked good in exchange for a preferred bass, no doubt fished from local waters. In the backdrop are other members of the Pequasset tribe standing in front of their teepees and stances signaling that they are interested onlookers with only friendly curiosity and no misgivings whatsoever. The scene clearly signals amiable commerce and equal exchange. Ben suggested that there might be some value in even having a revisionist history of the founding of Watertown, because at least it expressed a collective hope that things might have been fairly decent, when in all likelihood they were not. Perhaps there is a value to that, and I fail to fully appreciate it, Perhaps there is not. Like many of you, I grew up playing games of cowboys and Indians, as we called it. I and other white kids in my neighborhood, and there was never any question among us about who were the good guys and who were the bad guys, about which was the preferred and indeed superior identity. As school children, we used ethnic slurs like Indian giver in the most casual manner imaginable, in contexts where they went entirely unchallenged. That is a mortifying enough admission in its own right. But today, I am doubly disturbed by the way that insult presented so blatant an inversion of reality. An Indian giver was supposedly someone who gave you something only to take it back. Think of the bitter irony of that. How many insidious lies were we raised with about our indigenous siblings? How many derogatory caricatures? More than I care to catalog now. Lately, I better comprehend how prone we are to confusing the victim and villain roles. School and national sports teams are no longer making use of the so-called Native American mascots, and that is just one concession we can make to clarify confusion about what constitutes savagery. Professor Dunbar Ortiz urges us to reckon with our long history of settler colonialism in the U.S. precisely so that we will not participate in the continuous dehumanizing of indigenous peoples or perpetuate their othering. It takes sustained effort and sincere intention to decolonize our own consciousness, to open our hearts and minds and eyes and ears to an extended and massive assault on the fundamental rights and basic human dignity of the indigenous population. We can begin by celebrating a holiday, certainly, or making a ceremonial land acknowledgement, but we cannot stop there. 
when so much restitution still needs to be made. As the US poet laureate and indigenous author Joy Harjo writes, remember, you are all people and all people are you. In his best-selling book, The Four Agreements, A Personal Guide to Freedom, Toltec teacher Don Miguel Ruiz discusses the agreements that govern our lives. Drawing insight from the Toltec culture, a pre-Columbian Mesoamerican civilization in Mexico, he writes, everything we do is based on agreements that we have made. Agreements with ourselves, with other people, with God, with life. Whenever we hear an opinion and believe it, we make an agreement, and it becomes part of our belief system. We need to become increasingly aware about the agreements we have made throughout our lives so that we can become clearer still about what sort of agreements we intend to keep for the duration of them, where we will direct our attention, and what priorities we will set individually and collectively. According to Don Miguel, we need a great deal of courage to challenge our own beliefs. Because even if we know that we didn't choose these beliefs, it is also true that we agreed to all of them. The agreement is so strong that even if we understand the concept of it not being true, we feel the blame, the guilt, and the shame that occurs if we let go of these rules. So we have to counter our strongest social conditioning, which in the US valorizes and vindicates settler colonialism. In order to be free to keep newer and better agreements, whether they be with ourselves, with other people, with God, with life, we have to make the conscious choice to break old agreements, Don Miguel insists. In Wellesley, there was considerable upset among its residents that Indigenous Peoples Day represented the undoing of Columbus Day, and it did, yes. Yet how could it have been otherwise? We have to surrender our allegiance to the conquerors in order to challenge the demonic logic of conquest itself and join in solidarity with all the conquered. Unless we want that hand grasping a sword on the Massachusetts seal to be representative of our own, we have to renounce both the ideologies and practices that make us complicit with triumphant tales that would turn indigenous peoples into human trophies. Unless we want to become strangers to our highest selves, we have to become familiar with the traditional territories we inhabit. We have to understand how that ground was gained. We have to resist the mental, emotional, and spiritual legacies of colonialism. And we have to apprise what they have cost us in terms of a shared humanity. Let us start to correct some of the errors of the past. Let us seek whatever peace can be made with our history, and let us start in earnest today.